0: All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're back in the book of Philippians today. Philippians chapter 1 is where we will be in just a moment. Um, But let me take a moment and to report to you about our student camp. Um, As you know, it has been my practice, as often as I am able to do so, to go off to student camp. Um, I've only missed maybe two or three in all of my years of being a pastor when our students have gone off to camp. Uh, I like to go because I'm, as much as I am your pastor, I am their pastor as well, and that is a great opportunity for me to just spend time with them and to to be in a spiritual setting, uh, to watch them as uh, they are uh, removed out of this culture and taken up onto the mountain, and it is on a mountain, they're they're right now uh, uh, at Ridgecrest, North Carolina, uh, at the Ridgecrest Conference Center for the Centrifuge Camp. And uh, they will be wrapping up probably in the next 10 minutes. They will wrap up their morning worship service there. They'll be boarding buses and traveling that long, long trip back. Um, but it's good for me to be able to go. I get to spend some time with our, our student leadership and uh, some of our parents and uh, who also go with chaperones and uh, to watch the interaction of our, our student leadership and our next-gen leadership uh, with these students as uh, they are processing uh, the word processing the times of worship, allowing the, the word to, to press in on them when the world is sort of removed. You know, we, we, when we're here in this place and they're with their friends and in their homes and uh, in, in the culture, uh, it's sometimes hard for them to clear out all of the clutter and to hear from the Lord. Uh, but before they board the bus, um, we prep them. We take their cell phones away from them. And, uh, and so they basically pretty much have one another they have their leadership uh, they have the word and uh, it allows the spirit to pour in them to, uh, over a few days so I'm going to encourage you to pray for these students who have been away uh, they'll be traveling back today but not just for their safety though we need to do that but also to pray about their re-entry back into this world and not just the next few days but school starts very soon and some of the greatest pressures that they face uh, are, are not, you know, how to live for Christ in the days right after camp. It's how to live for Christ once school begins. And they get back around their friends who are not following after Jesus and the pressures and the influences uh, that come from this world. And so I, I would challenge you to, to pray for them. There have been decisions made this week. We've had some young people come to know Christ, praise the Lord. Uh, we've had some that, that have uh, felt Uh, God speaking into their lives Uh, they'll come back all excited but and that's what we call the camp high right but sometimes you got to come back off of the mountain and uh, living for Christ not on the mountain but in the valley uh, is where where it's at so pray for them and pray for their journey. Speaking of journeys I almost didn't make it back to you. Um, I flew yesterday uh, attempted to fly yesterday uh, since I had a uh, a flight issue a few weeks ago, a uh, flight cancellation that prevented me to be back after the Southern Baptist Convention, I was determined uh, to be with you today. Uh, but I have been anxiously watching the flights uh, out, of Charlotte, or out of Asheville, North Carolina to Charlotte and Charlotte to Gainesville, and, uh, and it was starting to look dicey with all the cancellations that were happening. Uh, I figured out that if the, my, my, the plane that I was going to fly on, if it would come out of Charlotte on time, then everything would be fine. I would be able to catch my flight out of Asheville, go to Charlotte, from Charlotte to, to Gainesville, and all would be good. And so Pastor BJ yesterday was driving me to the airport there in, in western North, North Carolina, and I was watching it every few minutes, just making sure, yep, that flight is coming out on time, it's going to make it, it's going to make it. And about five minutes before we drove on to the airport campus, i got a notification that the flight my plane coming out of charlotte was 14 or uh, 20 minutes delayed no big deal all is good and then another cancel or another delay and then another delay and then another delay and it kept stacking up and it got to the point where i was not going to make my connecting flight in charlotte to, to florida we scrambled around with the airlines they got me another flight now into orlando i was going to get in at about 11:30. all was going to be well and I was just about to get on the plane when, because it, it had finally arrived in, in Asheville and I could fly to Charlotte and then on to, to Orlando a little later. And then I got another, another notification that the airline had routed me through Miami. Oh, it's okay. It was okay. I was going to get to Orlando. I got on Miami and then to Orlando at eight o'clock this morning. That's where the O comes in, right? I will tell you, within a span of a handful of minutes from me getting ready to get on that plane, Uh, I ended up canceling that flight altogether had I not done so Monty Grant would be preaching right now that's what would have (laughs) happened all right and no one prayed more for me than Monty Grant yesterday all right now listen Monty needs to preach sometime amen all right you heard it Monty wherever you are all right but we're going to give you more prep time than than yesterday all right and praise the Lord, I was able to book another flight on another airline. And with the Lord's help and a few others, I made it into to Ocala last night at 2 in the morning. All right. And I went to sleep at 3. So I'm operating on coffee and jet fumes. All right. So pray for your preacher today and be a little, a little accommodating if you will. Uh, so I, I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, I've, I, I praise God to be here, seriously, after all of that journey. Um, and I've, I've been asked a few times today how are you doing? And uh, you know my, my response to this I'm just glad to be here Amen I'm just glad to be here and not sitting in an airport somewhere uh, and I, I mean what other response can you give when you're preaching a message from the book of Philippians that talks about being grateful and thankful no matter what right so praise God I'm here Amen all right we're we're in this series called No Matter What and it's a reflection on Paul's letter to the Philippian believers. Uh, a group of people who were, who were facing some trials and tribulations, Paul himself had his own issues uh, that he was dealing with, and yet he's writing to them to encourage them uh, to, to, to press on, uh, to not be discouraged, but to be grateful and to rejoice, and always to rejoice. In fact, throughout this book, you'll see a number of times where he is using the word joy or rejoice or rejoicing and uh, encouraging these believers, to not give up hope. You're going to find as we read through this text today, but also throughout the, the series, that Paul had such a special affection for this church. He loved them, and he wanted them to press on and not give up. Uh, and just as he took joy in them, he wanted them to have joy, and to have joy no matter what happened, no matter what. And it's why we're, he wrote this very letter that we're now studying. In fact, this whole letter, if, you, if you'll just take it to heart, I believe it'll be an encouragement to you. You may not be in the same circumstances that the Philippian believers were in when they received this letter, but you've been in your own set of circumstances. You've also had difficult relationships that didn't always turn out the way that you wanted, and some of those relationships uh, may have been quite antagonistic. Someone that didn't like you, didn't want you to succeed, wanted you to fail, and when that's happening, or when you're going through some kind of trial or tribulation, it's hard to be joyful it's hard to be grateful for it and yet this letter encourages us to do that no matter what we face and so this message it's a challenge today for you to continue to do that to continue to be thankful to continue uh, to be joyful to continue to walk with Christ and to trust him even when circumstances aren't ideal or when people aren't kind to you and so without going any further than this I want us to just read today's text can we do that if you'll open up your Bibles, we're going to begin in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read down to the first half of verse 18. So if you have your place in Scripture, why don't you go ahead and stand with me? If this is your first time with us today, you, you know, we, we stand and sit quite a bit here, but the reason why we're standing at this moment is because we believe that this is God's Word. This is no ordinary book, folks. This is God's revealed Word to you and to me. And so we stand in the honor of the reading of it in this moment. And here is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, it is with Thanksgiving that I pray for our students and the leaders and the the week that they have had going away to be spiritually encouraged and revived, and we pray for them. We pray for their safety and travels, but also, Lord, that we pray that what has happened upon that mountain will have lasting impact and effect. That, Lord, they're not just coming off of that mountain to try to be better, but that, Lord, that they're coming off of that mountain to be deeper in love with you. And so we pray for them and their journey, both physically and spiritually, throughout this day and throughout the next few weeks and on into the school year. And we pray for a sweeping spiritual movement among our students. And Lord, may it be that we look back and we we can account for it, for their willingness to just get away and to yield themselves to you. But Lord, may it also be said of us that that revival began this day for us. For all the pressures that we face in this world and all the challenges and the relationship struggles, the Lord, we find in this text today the encouragement to press on and to not waver in the face of difficult moments and difficult people. But instead, Lord, that we we continue and we find much to celebrate and much to rejoice because of your work through our difficulties and our difficult situations. So speak, Lord, I pray, and we ask it in your name. Amen and amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks. I, I wonder if you have joy. And not just when things are good, but do you have joy in every circumstance? Do you have joy no matter what? It's easy to say that when things are going fine, when things are well, but to have joy in those difficult moments, in those challenging moments. I do believe it's possible, by the way, no matter what the occasion may be, it is possible that you can have joy if your joy is in Christ. Now, that's Paul's testimony, certainly. If you remember that Paul, who is writing these words to the Philippian believers, was himself in a pretty bad predicament. We learn this at the end of the book of Acts when he was under arrest, having been falsely accused. He's been taken away from Israel, taken away from his home. He's far, far away. And at the time of his writing of this letter, he is suffering uh, incarceration. He cannot go anywhere. It's, uh, he's under house arrest. It's not the worst kind of jailing, but it is a, a difficult situation. A few people can come and visit with him, but he can go nowhere, so his ministry is greatly restrained. Meanwhile, as Paul is being detained, there are other Christian leaders who were taking advantage of the situation. These are not people that were for Paul. These were people who were against Paul. They, they believed in Christ, but there were some struggles between their, how they felt and, and how Paul was receiving a lot of acclaim. and It was very hard for Paul to defend himself as Paul was arrested and far away while his opponents were speaking ill of him. And yet it was in the middle of these hard days and this difficult situation that Paul is writing the Philippians. So he's got his own experience, and rather than be bitter, Paul has means and reasons to be rejoicing, and that's what you find him doing here. But as he's writing to the Philippians, expressing his joy, he's also encouraging them in their own right to rejoice and to keep on with the mission, to press on, and to continue to do so no matter what, even when they hit the inevitable wall. I'm not much of a runner. I've been trying to, to get back in, in shape a little bit. I know it's going to take me a while at my age. And so I've been riding a bicycle. And uh, one of the things I've, I'm rediscovering is the wall. If, you, if you're any run, runners here or, or those who engage in, in endurance sports like running or bicycling or, or swimming, you know if you go too hard, too far, for too long, you're going to hit the inevitable wall. And hitting the wall, it's a very real circumstance for someone. It's at that point when you're you're exerting all of your effort that suddenly the carbohydrates and the dehydration, they diminish. And it's at that moment your body just wants to stop. You don't want to slow down. You just want to stop. Long distance runner Dick Beardsley describes it like this. As he was running, he says, it felt like an elephant had jumped out of a tree onto my shoulders and was making me carry it the rest of the way in. That's what hitting the wall is like. Well, what's true for the body can also be true for the soul, spiritually speaking. We're pressing along, doing the best that we can do, trying to live for the Lord, but issues and challenges keep popping up, and yet we press on and we press on and we press on. And sometimes there can be a point where there's so much weighing down upon us that we hit that wall and, like an elephant, has jumped upon our back, and we just want to quit, spiritually speaking. We want to quit. We want to move on to something else, start over somewhere else. But as we'll see in this text today, Paul is going to encourage the the pressing on in the faith because we should not stop when we hit that wall. We cannot stop. We press on instead. We continue even through the hard stuff and not just pressing on with whining and griping. Instead, we rejoice. That's what Paul is going to be encouraging us to do here as we look at this portion of his letter encouraging us to continue on in at least a couple of ways we continue when things are tough but we also continue when people are rough in fact i could really have broken this up into two different messages today but these these the front half of this section of scripture we've read and the back half really go together and so sort of look at today's message as two mini sermons and as pastor danny has said you've never preached a mini sermon in your life but i'm going to do my best to preach two of them today all right So let's consider the first mini-sermon, and I would entitle that this, Continue When Things Are Tough. If I were to preach the first half of this passage, the title of the message would be Continue When Things Are Tough. And yes, things are tough for Paul. That's what he's referring to there in verse 12 when he talks about what has happened to me. When he talks about what had happened to himself, He was talking about his current situation that was unfolding and had been unfolding around him for some time. His wrongful and unjust arrest and the two years of incarceration that followed. To say things that were tough for him in that moment would be an understatement. Because imagine you were doing nothing wrong except talking about Jesus. You love people, you love the Lord, you want them to know one another. And so you've been sharing the gospel telling others about how they can come to know Christ and have a relationship with Christ and to be forgiven of their sins, and in the middle of that, you you are arrested for doing so. And then not only that, you're not just arrested under false false pretenses, but you're now forced uh, into a two-year period of incarceration. You're going to lose two years of your life. You can't go anywhere. Meanwhile, while all of that is still unfolding, you're still waiting for resolution. Now, if that is you, Now listen, you've had some moments, right? You've had some tough moments. Have you ever been in such a a, a journey like that? Falsely accused, arrested, you don't know what's going to happen to you? The death penalty could result uh, from this arrest, even though you've done nothing wrong. You're in prison for two long years, you don't know when it's going to end. Wouldn't you be tempted just a little to give in, to quit? And yet Paul doesn't do that. He, he's not deterred Paul is determined and he is joyful so how, how could he do that and how how could it be and why did he do that because Paul knew he understood that the Lord could bring good things out of the tough things I mean Paul himself had had said this had written this prior to this moment in Romans 8 28 when he says and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good you know that verse for those who are called according to his purposes. This means that 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 tough situation that you found yourself in, God can use that. As hard as it may be for you, God can take the bad and he can turn it to good. How, you may ask? Well, for one, he could use it as an opportunity to spread the gospel. That's how Paul saw it as an opportunity. Look there at at verse 12. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So Paul's imprisonment, as bad as it was, Paul saw that that it had given him an opportunity to take the mission, to take the gospel to places that he had previously not been able to take it before. As he puts it, it really served to advance the gospel, he said. Here's a truth that we often forget, but we should never forget this. Our God is sovereign. He can do what He wants to. He can make it happen. He is in control of all things and nothing happens that is without purpose, even the tough things. See what he writes there in verse 13. Paul says this, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, to all the rest of the guards. The imperial guards that Paul was referring to were the people that Paul now had access to because he was under imprisonment uh, under them, but they were an elite group sort of, you can sort of see them as a hand-picked specialized mi- mi- military force it would sort of be like mixing the navy seals with the secret service because they were highly trained as military uh, p- personnel but they were also serving to watch over and to protect caesar so they these were, you would see these at the, as the best of the best and typically they would serve caesar for 12 years and then many of them would then go on beyond military life, beyond their imperial guard term, and become influential leaders uh, in the Roman society, like generals or public officials or ambassadors or even business leaders. Now I want you to think of this. Paul is not from Rome, though he is Roman. He is not from Rome. He is living uh, far, farther uh, east, uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles. But under what circumstance would the missionary Paul be normally given access to people like the Imperial Guard. Not many, I suppose. But because Paul had been arrested and was incarcerated for two years, two long years, do you think Paul shared the gospel with these Imperial Guards along the way? You better believe he did. He had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to spread the gospel to some whom he would have never known otherwise. I say that and remind you this for this reason. You may be going through a most difficult time right now. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe uh, someone is running you down behind your back. Uh, maybe perhaps you were passed over for, for a promotion or maybe uh, cut from the, uh, a, a, a sport. Uh, maybe forced to move to a new city. Whatever the circumstance may be that you're going through, could it be that God has a, is and has allowed that circumstance to happen so that because of how you handle it and the position that he places you in relation to other people, he has done so so that the gospel can spread to where it was never going to go before. We've told you over and over again about Jennifer's mother and how she died with cancer at the age of 48. And and what a difficult and tough time, a very tough season for us as we journey through it uh, for us all. But let me tell you one good thing that happened. We were trying our best to see the good of her illness and her inevitable death at her funeral service i was able to share her testimony and uh, she set me aside in a room a few months before her, her, she passed away and very clearly articulated to me how she came to know the lord she said i want you to tell people how i came to know jesus well as i was sharing the gospel in that in that funeral service Jennifer's mother, who had been for years a lunchroom lady at the local elementary school, there were a lot of kids that she loved and had poured into. There was a boy there who was in attendance that day that heard her testimony and thereby heard the gospel and trusted Jesus Christ that day. Now, would that child have heard the gospel otherwise? I don't know. Perhaps. But what we do know is that in that circumstance, her death, And the testimony of how she handled her illness gave testimony, provided an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Listen, in a similar way, these tough times that we face as God can use them, these tough times also provide an occasion for us to make Christ known simply by how we're handling our situation. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 13. Here's an occasion, Paul said, for making Christ known. He says, so that it has become known that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, I want you to think for a moment. That I don't know all of you, and, and some of you whom I do know may be going through one of the darkest moments of your life, and I and others are not aware of it. But could it be that whatever it is, it may not be imprisonment for you like it was for Paul, but this circumstance, could it be that this, this hard time, this tough moment is for Christ? There's no question that why Paul was in jail. He wasn't just imprisoned. He was imprisoned for Christ. He was imprisoned because of his faith in Jesus. He was in this tough spot going through tough times, but you don't see Paul here playing the victim, do you? You don't see him whining about his circumstances, complaining about how he was being treated and that God has abandoned him or or considering maybe he should just recant in order to get out of his circumstances. In fact, just the opposite is happening here. It is obvious that in the midst of his incarceration, in the midst of his imprisonment, that he is talking about Jesus and spoke about Jesus and is making him known. Everyone became aware of Paul and why he was in jail and they were hearing that he was in jail because of Jesus. Paul was not going to let his imprisonment escape as an opportunity to talk about Christ. That's how he responded. He was in a tough moment and instead of complaining, he lifted up Jesus over and over and over. Friend, let me tell you, how you respond to those tough moments in life, no matter how difficult they may be, no matter how deep the hurt, it says a whole lot about your heart. It says a whole lot about your relationship with Christ, but it also says a lot about your heart for the gospel. So let me tell you, when when those tough times come, are you busy playing the victim? Are you busy whining about your circumstances, or do you see it as an occasion to point people to Jesus, to talk about Jesus? It's been some time ago, I I came across a blog. Blogs are not as popular as they used to be. Uh, But it was a a blog called Don't Waste Your Cancer. It was written by a a, a girl, a young lady by the name of Libby, who at the time of writing this was 26 years of age. And she she had been married for three years and had given birth to her first child just three or six months uh, beforehand. In fact, her child was six months old when she wrote what I'm about to read to you from this blog. Her her husband, Justin, Was in the ministry, he worked for a a, a Christian evangelism ministry toward young people, uh, toward teenagers. And uh, she had found out just a few months before uh, that she had this cancer, and so the blog was all about how she was wrestling with it. And I just want to read a, a portion of her words from this this blog. Here's what she wrote, and this is in the middle of her cancer. She says, "I'm supposed to be sleeping, but I cannot stop thinking about this, so I had to write it down. For the first time today, I got anxious about this blog." It's only existed for three days, and it appears that a good amount of people are already reading it, which is cool, but also weird because I I may not know you, but as I was thinking that tonight, I felt assured that Jesus is using this. He has to, or all of this is a waste. My cancer, that is, it's a waste of time and energy and lots of money and me missing time out with Ava, her daughter. Like when I got home and wanted so desperately to hold her, but I couldn't really because my neck hurts so bad and I'm so nauseous, so I had to hand her back to Justin. But then she writes this. This will all be worth it. Every second of it, if Jesus does something big with it. He will, though. I have to trust it. Then her husband, Justin, wrote this on her blog. He said, some of our family in Christ planned a prayer service for my sweet wife. It was humbling, encouraging, calming, and really just wonderful to see adults and students praying and just to see them. And he said, worship made this about Jesus and not Libby. And I think that made her so happy. Tonight was a great night for the Lord. Libby says, don't waste your cancer. But if you were to have a blog And it's not about your cancer, if that's not your struggle, but there's something else you're dealing with. Perhaps the Lord would inspire to write this, don't waste this tough moment that you're in. So what you're going through is worth it. You may not feel like it in the moment, but whatever you're going through at this moment is worth it because every second of it, Jesus can do something big with it. So just make sure that you're making Christ known as you suffer, as you deal with it. There's one more reason to continue in this first mini-sermon, and it's this. The reason why you want to continue when things get tough is because it's a means to embolden others. Look at verse 14. He said, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, between the imperial guards that Paul was sharing the gospel with, but also the rest of the guards, Paul had a pretty big audience Surprisingly so, even though he was confined in his circumstances. But that wasn't the only audience that was observing Paul in that moment. There was a much broader audience that was watching Paul from afar and what he was going through. And that is, there were other believers who heard about Paul's circumstances and were getting reports about how he was handling it. And so you have this host of other believers watching from afar, watching Paul as he was journeying down this path of difficult and tough circumstances. And remember that as Christians, that they had the very same calling that Paul had, which was to share the the gospel and to make Christ known. But if they did so, as Paul was doing so, they too could face persecution. So what if they had been watching Paul and watching his reaction to things, going through all of those challenges, but Paul had responded differently than he had actually responded? What if he had been complaining about his mistreatment? What if he had publicly questioned his trust and faith in the Lord? What if he had recanted in order to make his life easier? What do you think that would have done to those other believers who were watching in, waiting to see what was going to happen to Paul, watching and observing his behavior? It likely would have been devastating to their faith and their mission. But praise God, Paul handled it all well. He took it as an opportunity to spread the gospel, to make Jesus known. And as he was doing so, he was also at the same time encouraging others to do the same. He was modeling how a Christian journeys through dark and difficult times. And in so doing, he was emboldening these other believers to share Jesus without fear. So yes, you can continue to follow Jesus without joy, even when things are tough. But what if it's not a circumstance that's the problem? What if it's a person? Listen, people can be difficult sometimes. I know because I am one and you are one. You know that to be true. And some people are difficult on purpose. Some even try to inflict harm upon you. What makes it even worse is that those people that are trying to inflict harm upon you take the name of Christ, They, they claim to have faith in Jesus. Now I'm here to tell you, based on what Paul is now getting ready to tell us in the last half of this passage, is that even then, even when people come against you and those people claim Jesus, even then it is possible to have joy. So let's take a look at this second mini-sermon. <clears throat> and I would entitle that second mini-sermon as this, continue, not only when things are tough, but when people are rough. By that I mean those who are against you, they're not kind to you, they are speaking ill about you and want you to fail. Pa- Paul faced all kinds of people like that. And yet he presses on. In fact, I want you to listen to the, this description of how Paul had to deal with these kinds of people, people who were rough with him, <coughs> unkind and mean and, and wanted him to fail. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this, writing there, about his circumstances and his opposition. He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. He was beat several times for his faith. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. When Paul was writing that in that second letter to the Corinthians, he was describing how he was treated by those who opposed the faith. Paul also got it from Christians. Paul got it from all directions. that Those Christians didn't physically attack him, but they still came against him. If you look in verse 15 here in in, in Philippians chapter 1, you're going to see him describing and referring to some of the mistreatment there. He said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Paul uses that phrase from envy and rivalry. He was describing in general terms what some of his enemies were like and why they opposed him. They they, they saw themselves as envious. So they didn't see it. Paul saw this. Paul saw them as being envious of him. Why they were envious of him, we don't know. We're not told specifics. Perhaps they weren't receiving the same level of attention that Paul was. Maybe they were working hard too, uh, but sinfully they began to, to pine for some of that attention. Meanwhile, Paul's receiving all the glory. They just get envious. But Paul said they also saw him as a rival. Maybe they just thought, well, you know, Paul's just in this for himself. And so all of this led to them attacking Paul even while he is under arrest, which he mentions there in verse 17. He said, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there's yet another reason why they were Paul's opposition. They were selfishly motivated. They, they wanted some kind of attention, recognition, Want some kind of pats on the back. And if they had to tear Paul down to do so, then so be it. They didn't care. And it wasn't enough that Paul was in prison and his ministry was limited somewhat. They're now dogpiling on him, doing things to afflict him while he was uh, under arrest. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, I'm not Paul. I strive to be. I, I cannot be. Because if I, were, if I had been Paul, if I were in his shoes, I would have been more than a little miffed. I would have wanted to lash out and lash out against them. Listen, life and ministry is hard enough as it is, but have someone to attack you, uh, to, to uh, attack your character, especially someone who's supposed to be on your side, another Christian, that's just unnecessary. And listen, the, the greatest joy robbers may not be a circumstance. It comes from a person. And it wouldn't be a surprise if that person who's robbing the greatest joy from you is someone who claims to know Christ. Listen, I, 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 have, I, I know that uh, the, the the deepest cuts the deepest wounds always come from within from within the body of christ and it can just sap sap your joy and i'm going to tell you for me i'm not going to lie it's hard for me when another brother or sister maligns me or or uh, ascribes motives to me that are that are not true and you know I, I can get a complaint from one person and followed by 20 affirmations you know what i'm going to think about the one complaint you, you, you've been there too right Somebody complains one little thing and you could be piled upon pile upon pile of affirmations, but that one complaint sticks in your heart. That's the one you dwell upon. So, when people are rough with you, when, when people treat you poorly, when they come against you and they're unkind to you, when they threaten to rob your joy, how can you continue to, to walk in Christ with joy? Well, assuming you've done all that you can to bring reconciliation, how do you do that? Well, It won't be upon dwelling upon the negative and upon dwelling upon those who oppose you. Here's what I I believe Paul's going to encourage us to do. That is to to lean into those who are with you and who are for you. Yes, there may be somebody who comes against you, but don't ignore those who are on your side, who are there for you and building you up. In fact, I would say Paul suggests that you lean into like-minded people, which is what he did. Again, remember Paul's under house arrest. He's not free to continue his ministry as he did before. He's doing the best that he can under his circumstances, taking the opportunities that are coming to him. But others stepped up and stepped in in his absence, and the mission continued beyond him, and his ministry extended beyond his prison cell. And yes, he had these opponents who worked against him. They were those that Paul is saying they preached from envy and rivalry. But Paul also takes note of those who were working with him. Look at verse 15. He said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but there are others, and those others from good will. We know that Paul shared Christ out of obedience to the Lord and out of his love for others. He, he preached Christ from goodwill, and he is also now finding encouragement from others who share the same heart and attitude, who did the same. They were like-minded people with Paul, those who preached Christ from good will. You know, listen, you know this to be true. You can't always change the hearts and minds of other people. Some people may not like you, and and that's the way that it is. Some people will be against you, and yes, that's just the way that it is. But this is why we should uh, intentionally seek out and lean into those who are in it for the right reasons. Because you find like-mindedness there. Partner with them and together focus on the mission. That's how you continue when people are rough. But also, I would say, Paul would tell us to lean into love-minded people. By the way, they tend to be the same people. The people who are in in it for the right reasons, uh, who are, are sharing the Christ out of goodwill, also do so from the same heart. Look at verse 16. Paul said of such people, the latter do it out of love. These people who share Christ out of goodwill, they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And so those like-minded partners that were sharing Christ, they were motivated, uh, as Paul was motivated, out of obedience to the Lord, but also out of a love for others. And so Paul is talking about those who had a particular love for him. Understand that Paul had faithfully shared the gospel of Christ. He had been arrested for it, and yet he continued to defend the gospel. And uh, they supported him while that was going on out of love. Again, verse 16, they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here because I was preaching Jesus. So out of love for Christ and for him, they continued his work. So much of Paul's opposition came because of his gospel faithfulness. And that, op- that opposition could have robbed him of his joy. But Paul gives no heed to them. He doesn't stop. He doesn't quit. Instead, he leans in and leans into those who love him and whom he saw as partners with him. I promise you, it may not be true for you as much as it is for me, you will face rough people relationally. They're hurt, they've got some baggage perhaps in their background, and I've found that hurting people tend to hurt others. They don't always mean to do so. So sometimes the, when people are rough with you, it's not intentional, they're inflicting of harm towards you. Sometimes it is, but not always. Some of them may be well-meaning, and yet some may intentionally try to harm you, But Paul, I believe, is telling us, don't let their shenanigans against you discourage you or rob you of joy. Lean into those who are with you. And with that, one last final point of the second sermon. You've heard two today. Here's the final point. Lean into the good. Lean in to the good. It's so easy to see the bad and never see the good, especially when you're hurting, especially when it's personal. But never forget, again, that the Lord is sovereign as we said at the beginning, that God can use this hard stuff, not that he causes it, but he can use it for his glory, even the negative things that come from difficult people. Look at verse 18. Consider how he concludes this section. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, there may be people who are speaking, uh, talking about Jesus and doing it out of a wrong heart. But Paul says God can use it. Paul had it tough. He had tough circumstances, rough encounters with people, so did the Philippian believers. But Paul's silver lining here is that even though they're preaching uh, uh, out of a, a, a wrong motivation, they're still preaching Christ. They might not have been driven in the right way. They may be driven out of personal gain. It's not ideal, of course, but at least they're talking about Jesus. And if the Lord can and did take that proclamation and use it for good, then to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Listen, I I wish your life and mine was always easy. I, I, I wish I could pray that for you. I wish you would never have another difficult moment nor another difficult conversation or relationship ever again. But sometimes things are tough and people are even rougher. The question is how are you going to respond to it when it comes. Will you continue with the Lord? Will you continue with joy? Or will you forfeit your joy? Will you get discouraged and quit? So many people let their circumstances drive them, and many times those circumstances and those bad relationships drive them from the Lord. My prayer for you is that whatever challenge you may face, whatever challenging people may come against you, that people will look and see how you are encountering what you're going through, and they will see joy. Make your testimony be like that of a lady by the name of Maureen Jones. I don't personally know Maureen. I did come across her story. She was 92 years of age when she moved into a nursing home. Her husband of 70 years had passed away a brief time before, which forced her uh, to move uh, from her home uh, into this nursing home. And uh, she was dropped off at the nursing home a little earlier than they were supposed to. And so she found herself waiting early uh, for a long time, for several hours in the lobby while they were, the, the staff were trying to get her room ready. After several hours had passed, they finally asked her to, to come with them and they were going to navigate her back to her room, her new home. And as she's maneuvering her walker to the elevator, uh, the, the nursing home worker was describing her room and what it was going to be like for her, including the eyelet uh, sheets that had been hung on her window. And she's getting on the elevator while she's hearing this, and she goes, I love it. Just like the enthusiasm of a child. The, the, the nursing home worker said, well, Miss Jones, you haven't even seen it yet. Just you wait. And she said, well, that doesn't really matter. In fact, it has nothing to do with it. Happiness is something you decide ahead of time. And she said, I don't care how the room is decorated. I decided this morning I was going to like it. It's a decision that I make every morning when I wake up. I have a choice. Well, I'd like to know that lady personally. I'm sure she's with Jesus today. I hope to meet a lady like that, right? And some of you are this way. Every morning, you make a choice. And yes, there may be some tough times and there may be rough people that you're going to encounter. But you get up and you make a choice and you choose joy and you choose Jesus. But I'm going to tell you whether or not we do that is really going to be something we decide ahead of time. You and I have a choice. What choice? Are you going to make? Is it time to stop? Is it time for you to quit? Or will you continue on? No matter what. With joy and thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, I, as often as the case, I have no idea who this message is for. And to what ends you intend it. And it may be, Lord, that there's someone right in the middle of the fire there's a, a fire of a, of a rough relationship. or Maybe it's just a, a tough moment in a life. Financial change, a, a health condition, a health scare. I, I don't know. And Lord, right now, someone needs to hear this message that they need to press on. They need to continue. They need to rejoice knowing that you're at work and that whatever bad that they're experiencing in this moment, that good can come from it. Lord, I'd say that there's often a lot of people here who are actually in a good moment and uh, that no complaints, all is well, but that doesn't mean that all will remain well. And they need to decide even today, just as the one who is in the middle of the fire, those that are not need to decide to choose joy, not knowing how the rest of this day, the rest of this week, the rest of this year will turn out. And Lord, I pray that what we've seen in this text today though the word continue doesn't really occur in it, that Paul's encouragement is really intended to do that. To encourage us to continue in our walk with you. To not complain, to not whine, to not doubt, but to keep on trusting you to be grateful and to rejoice in all things to the glory of God. And so Lord, whether it is now or some future date, may this this truth be embedded into our hearts and minds So that in the moment of needing, we will do what is right and we will choose joy. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today that have no basis yet in joy because they do not know you. Lord, if there be someone here today who has not yet trusted you as Savior and Lord, that today be the day of their journey of joyful service begins. So it be, we pray and ask. In the Lord's name we pray it. Amen.